to episode six of Pub Crawl, a publishing podcast about reading, writing, books, and occasionally booze. I'm your host, S.J. Jones. I'm an erstwhile editor and author. And I'm your co-host, Kelly Van Sant. I am a contracts manager and a freelance editor. We are both contributors with the Publishing Crawl blog, and together we have over 15 years of industry experience. And today's topic is book publicity. <laughs> Ask a publicist with Mallory Hayes. Yes, we have a guest today. Say hi, Mallory. Hi, everyone. I've, <laughs> I've come to bring a different tone, voice tone to the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I need yeah, to get out. Mallory was saying earlier that we do kind of sound alike, so um, I don't know. One of us has to speak in a really high-pitched voice today, I guess, to try and differentiate <laughs> us from each other. One of you should just try to do an accent the whole time oh, and see great. if that works. <laughs> well, if I keep drinking enough wine, then the Boston accent will come out. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the occasionally booze part of the podcast happens to be true today. Yes. I was so going to say... Kelly? Um, we are drinking a Riesling over here. Mallory and I are together uh, in Minneapolis, and we are drinking Riesling. Yeah. Yeah. I am drinking alcoholic root beer. Every time you talk about it, it sounds so incredible. I need to try this. I need to try this. There's a place in Fargo that their specialty, I'm sorry, I'm from Fargo, North Dakota, which might, you can might pick up my accent. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the wine will probably bring it out too. But there's a place, there's a bar in Fargo called Rooters, and they specialize in alcoholic root beer. This is amazing. This is something I've never heard of until very recently. Huh. It but is it's like pretty a recent. Thing. Um, this particular, I mean, actually, this particular brand of beer, root beer is not your father's root beer. Um, which I think is actually was bought by Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> of <laughs> so, course it was. Yes, it was. Um, but it looks as though the original brewery was in La Crosse, Wisconsin. hey <laughs> We're so close. I, it's up in your, your neck of the woods somewhere. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Although, I don't all right, I guess we should get started. Uh, boy, we're off to a great start. I know, I know. <laughs> Welcome! <laughs> uh, yeah, pre-gamed a little bit before recording today, that's all. No, that's good, it's good. For a publicist who should be used to talking to people about books and things, I was a little nervous, so a little wine was in order. Liquid courage. <laughs> yep. Hey, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we'll just dive right in with the questions. These are questions that we've sort of culled uh, from what our listeners and have asked us and sort of some that we've come up with ourselves. And over the course of the conversation, we'll probably extemporaneously come up with others. But um, let's just start with the first one. So Mallory, what is the difference between marketing and publicity? So my experience, I worked um, publicity with a medium-sized publisher in the Twin Cities for um, about three years, and I actually just moved to an even smaller press. (laughs) So marketing publicity really can cross over a lot. But the main kind of rule of thumb is marketing is coverage that you pay for. So that's kind of like any ads of any kind. And then publicity is any coverage that you don't pay for, which are kind of reviews and interviews and, um, that sort of thing. That's like, 
basically the only way I can describe it because there's such crossover Mm -hmm. between the two that it's hard to kind of be like, this is publicity and this is marketing. So I actually didn't even know that much. (laughs) (laughs) Social media could be covered in one uh, department or the other. It's kind of a toss up for that. Yeah. So it's basically if you're paying for it, it's marketing. If you're not paying for it, it's publicity. And I guess then, so whatever gets paid for, so what are examples of things that you would pay for, like ads or? Yeah, it would be ads or you can do um, NetGalley campaigns where they send out newsletters and like feature one of your titles. Um, Any newsletters that you pay to distribute sort of. Co-ops at bookstores sometimes, but that can also kind of get into sales. So <laughs> it's a kind of it's all very incestuous. It's a gray area. Yeah, all the boundaries are very fluid in publishing. People do many things and put on many hats. So a lot of authors are being asked to promote themselves more and more these days. But what do you think the most effective thing to do is? I had a hard time trying to come up with an answer to this because with publicity you kind of throw everything you got at people and hope something sticks (laughs) um so what i the biggest thing that i would recommend to an author is getting some sort of social media platform it doesn't have to be all of the social media platforms i think that doing one well is the best. And I think choosing one that fits your personality is a great choice. Cause then you're not doing it just as like part of your job. It's kind of a fun thing. So the important thing is to find a social media platform that fits you doing it frequently. It doesn't have to be a million times a day. And also being an actual person on it. <laughs> and by that, I mean, You do not need to use whatever platform you choose to push your book or books 24-7 because people will unfollow or unsubscribe or just, like, tune you out. Mm -hmm. I think that the people that are most successful at having social media platforms, it's because they enjoy the platform and use it to talk to people about things that they actually love. And then every once in a while, they're like, oh, by the way, I uh, wrote a book and you can buy it if you want. <laughs> so, I mean, <clears throat> the people that come to mind really instantly are like the major hitters, <laughs> which I don't want to describe. Like Maureen Johnson is amazing at Twitter, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be Maureen Johnson because Maureen Johnson. That slot is filled. <laughs> she's she's filled the slot. She's taken it and run away with it. She's so good at it. But Rainbow Rowell is really good at Twitter. Sarah Dessen is really good at Twitter. Like, you know, Rainbow Rowell is also really good at Tumblr. Mm -hmm. And that's because she is a fan of other fandoms. So she retumbles things from reblogs. Whatever. I'm not hip with the (laughs) the full language of it. Even though I love Tumblr. But she will find people who love her books on there, 
But she will also talk about Harry Potter a lot, or talk about Sherlock and Benedict Cumberbatch's, like, hair a lot, and how she loves it. And I just think it's more successful when you can tell that they have, like, a personality, and they aren't just on there because they have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did talk about this a little bit last week, <clears throat> about using mm-hmm. social media as a social tool and not necessarily a promotional tool um, that you will get better results if you're doing something because you enjoy it because your enjoyment will always come across as genuine um, but I guess the other question is you know so authors are being asked to promote themselves so what specifically does a publicist in a book publishing house do that an author cannot do Oh, so the publicist will hopefully have connections with the media that the author does not. Um, obviously, if you're just starting out, you're either picking up connections from the person you're replacing or you're trying to make those connections yourself. But having those connections is very like vital because the publicist is representing the book as a professional, they have a distance from it that I think the authors, I mean, your book is your baby. I understand that. I totally want your baby to succeed, (laughs) but I'm the person that can really pitch it as kind of a third party without the emotional attachments to it. Does that make sense? No, it totally (laughs) does. It totally does. You need that kind of distance to be Mm -hmm. able to see the situation for what it is and contacts, you know, we were talking about that too, even back when we were talking about agents and why agents are valuable. And so much of it comes down to who, you know, and really people are specialists at what they do. A publish, a publicist is, has a specialized set of skills and knowledge that, you know, they're experts in their field and they have those contacts. Like you said, they can, you know, make those connections. They know the right way to approach that. Um, whereas authors might not have that knowledge. Yeah. And it's my, it's my job to know this particular person in the media wants this book this far in advance and they want two copies of it and they don't need anything extra. And as opposed to this other person who wants it like three months in advance and they only want series or something like that. So it's my job to kind of keep track of everything that the media wants to cover and how they want it delivered to them. And it's also my job to persuade them to cover it if they weren't going to cover it, (laughs) which is also where the throwing everything you got and hoping something sticks comes into play. (laughs) That's Uh, so much of this business though. It's not just publicity. It's everything else. (laughs) Yeah, because you create a book and you put the best cover you think for it on it and you put as much publicity and like marketing behind it as you can and you think it's a great book and then it doesn't hit right. Mm-hmm. And it's the nature of the beast and it's mm-hmm. really disappointing, but sometimes you get yeah. successes. You get the books that get covered and people start picking up and stuff, so... So I have a question then. If, for instance, an author has contacts to, I don't know, like their local newspaper or local radio station, uh, but their publisher does not because, you know, the publishers 
are located in, in a different city from where the author is living, should the author go ahead and reach out to these contacts by themselves, or should they forward these to the publicist to do that for them? I would say if you have personal contacts with um, media in your area, I would let your publicist know that you're going to contact them. Um, because I, I did a lot of campaigns for books that were from all over the country and we're obviously in the Midwest. So I don't get to talk to newspaper journalists in New York or anything. I have to kind of go on my own. Um, I have professional tools that will help me find those people. Um, so I do try to make sure that I'm taking where the author's from into consideration when I'm pitching things because a lot of local news usually picks local authors up. Everyone likes local stories. Um, but if you personally have contacts, I would just let your publicist know that you're going to do it so that you're not overlapping anything. And you might get a publicist that prefers you don't do that and they'll tell you and say, no, I'm doing it. Um, I was working with a an author that was an externalist. She had retired, and she'd worked at a bunch of big newspapers across the country. And I and she'd done two of her books by herself, basically, and she'd gotten all this great coverage, basically based on her contacts. So I was just like, I know that you know how to approach media. I know that you know them personally go for it. I will make a note. I will, if you need anything from me, let me know, but I know that you're, you know what you're doing and I'm going to let you run with it and I'll be doing something else to supplement it. So yeah, I would just ask that's, that wouldn't bother anyone. It wouldn't bother me. I would say yes or no based on the person. Yeah. So you're just saying the situation, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I feel like a lot of my answers are going to be, oh, it kind of depends. <laughs> I am coming from a very small or smaller publisher background, so I'm not sure how the big six or now big five kind of do it. Um, but I would say I would advise the author if they want to do that, ask and then it can't hurt <laughs> well, I worked at a big five well it turned into the big five while I was working there um, but you know I didn't know what was going on in the publicity department either when it came, <laughs> came to that process it just was like I made the introduction between the author and the publicist and was like you have at it kids have fun <laughs> so yes. sometimes the publicity stuff that was going on, they'd be like, oh, we got coverage here. And I was like, great. I had no idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, a lot of the times the publicist doesn't know either. <laughs> they are just hoping. So <laughs> a lot of it is we might be getting something here, but we'll just have to wait <laughs> and see. And then I never really kept my authors up to date in like the active pitching that I was doing because a mm -hmm. lot of it didn't work. So I didn't want to raise hopes up and then be like, oh, just kidding. They didn't want that. <laughs> they decided 
to go with something else or they just aren't interested or, you know. Mm -hmm. So you basically only shared the, like, victories. Right. Because you're like, here, look what I got you. (laughs) It's a miracle. no basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I definitely... I don't think that publicists are like, oh, let's keep everything a mystery. But, you know, it's hard to keep everyone abreast of the situation when you're mm-hmm. like, oh, this probably won't work, but we're going to give it a try. <laughs> and then sometimes it does work. So I know it's so much. It's so fun when things work. Mm-hmm. I remember at the place where Mallory and I were coworkers uh, and we used to work at this uh, mid-sized publisher and the entire company would get emails sometimes like, oh, this book is going to be reviewed in the New York Times in two weeks. And it would just like appear magically out of nowhere. And you were like, wow, that's great. But like, it never really occurred to me that like, oh, that they had to like work to secure that review. It didn't just happen magically overnight. Like they shared it with us now because they've got it and it's happening. But you know, a lot of time and effort went into making that happen. So yeah. And we usually didn't share it until we knew for sure that it was coming. (laughs) We would drop hints. We would be like, a major newspaper may be covering you. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) So if those are some of the things, you know, that a publicist does and that if you're okay with an author going out and doing certain things to promote themselves, if they have the proper connections and the proper skill set, what are some things that an author should not do? So my one, my number one thing of authors should not, please, for the love of God, please, for the love of your publicist, not do, is respond to reviews. (laughs) Nothing (laughs) good will come of it. (laughs) Just, just grin, just like, give yourself a talk and remind yourself that these are just people's opinions and it's just one person's opinion, and then just let it float away. <laughs> the That was one of the things I was most surprised about starting out as a publicist, was getting reviews for the same book and having them be so vastly different mm-hmm. and having them be from professional like review outlets and just being like, oh, these are just people who have their own they're bringing their own baggage to the book and their own personal like opinions and what they like and what they dislike. And it's kind of a crapshoot of whether your book will match up with them or not. And you just got to remind yourself that and then don't respond to negative ones. Please, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with the internet these days. It just makes all of that so easily accessible. Yes. And you I know cause I guess Before the internet, you could just sort of ignore it. Like, you could be J.D. Salinger and just never talk to anyone and be a total hermit. But you can't really do that these days. And I get the, like, instinct to be like, no, you didn't understand. You didn't get it. I will make you get it. Because it's your baby. Again, I understand. But in responding to bad reviews, you you will never win. <laughs> People will be like, why are you responding to me? Oh my God, this is so weird, blah, blah, blah. Or you could do a downward spiral of like getting into fights with reviewers. Like you're never going to come off 
clean it's in not, this situation. <laughs> so I don't know if anyone's ever seen the movie Chef, but it's this great little movie, and uh, I think it's on Netflix right now, and um, the it's about a chef, and he gets a horrible review, and he, like, loses his mind on the reviewer. <laughs> And it's horrific, and it's, like, one of those things that you're watching, and it's, like, the second-hand embarrassment as he, like, <laughs> spirals deeper and deeper and deeper into, you know, the whole thing. It's just horrific. If you ever feel like responding to a reviewer, stop, watch Chef, watch that scene, and stop yourself. Well, and I, like, I have gotten mad at reviewers because you read book like, the books that I'm pitching... I, of course, don't have my, any favorite children, but some, sometimes <laughs> sometimes there's books that you hit a little closer to home than others, and you'll just be like, you didn't get it. You didn't get the book. You don't understand. And, like, that's my reaction. It is not my book. <laughs> I did not put any blood, sweat, and tears into the creating of the book. I am the per- person that gets to shove the book at people at, at the end product. So if I get like that, I understand the way authors could feel. I'm just, I'm just letting you know, there's no good way to respond. Don't do it. Just don't. No, it has <laughs> never ended well for anyone, anyone at all. There, there have been some fairly well-known internet dramas about authors responding to mm-hmm. reviews, and it has never ended well. <laughs> No. For any of the parties involved, but especially the author. Yes. And you'll lose <laughs> readers because of it. Like, the book world is very small. Yeah. And, and you will... People will talk about it to other people in the book world. And it will spread. And it's just... There's no good way to do it. Write angry emails and then send them to yourself. Or send them off into... A email that you've designated for like responses to reviewers that no one will see, and just break out your journal. Yes, journal. call your yeah. best friend. Crack open a bottle of Riesling. <laughs> Make a locked live journal post. Yeah, you know, just purge whatever you need to purge, but do it in private. Yeah, I've seen some not nice reviews, and it's just. Some people are cranky people, and it feels like you forced them to read your book when you did not. So just remember that you are not a dollar, and not everyone is going to like you. And then just move on. (laughs) (laughs) Noted. (laughs) All right, so then... Uh, let's talk a little bit about a timeline for publicity. So a couple episodes ago, Kelly and I talked about the publishing part of, like the production part of publishing. You know, you've got copy edits and first pass pages and all that sort of stuff. Um, so what when does publicity come into it? So what stage of the bookmaking process does publicity usually begin? Yeah, I actually learned a lot about the front end of the process <laughs> from, from like, especially the last two episodes of your guys' podcast. I was like, oh, that's what happens. <laughs> this is like how we know nothing about publicity. It's like sometimes you can be working in this industry and you know your thing and then you don't know anything else about what's going on. Or you'll know like the departments near you, but they're usually the departments that deal with the book when you're dealing with the book and not before that. So yeah, I, um, I would usually start working on a book 
once it has gone to like the galley or the ARC stage. Mm -hmm. Um, I would know about the book beforehand, but the way that publishing works is that you're working on like three seasons at once. Um, I would get very confused at what year we were in because I'd be like, wait, are we in 2016 because I'm working on a summer book right now? And I no, we're not. Okay. We're still in 2015. All right. (laughs) Sometimes I'd be like, is it 2017 yet? I guess. Cause that's Mm -hmm. when they're scheduling that now winter 2017. So it's like, what, what year is it? I don't know what year it is anymore. (laughs) Publishing's like time travel. It really is. So you're working on books sometimes two years out, but you're also working on books that are just coming out. So, um, I usually started working on the books when they get to ARC form. That's when I, luckily I didn't have as many books to cover because we were again, a mid-sized publisher. So I got to read every single one of my books, which was very nice. I know other publishers don't get to do that unless they bring it home. Um, and I would read them and then write pitch letters and send out the ARCs to um, media people that I thought would be good for it. And it would also go up on NetGalley, usually around six months in advance. I would maybe contact the author seven to eight months in advance of the book publishing date just to let them know here's your publicity plan that we're thinking of. It's a live document. It changes as things go on. Um, and then it's, there's a lull time in between the ARCs and when the book is coming out. Um, because six months in advance, those are for long lead media people. Those are the people that need that long of a time to assign a reviewer and have it reviewed in time for it to be reviewed around the publication date. (laughs) Mm. It's very confusing. (laughs) And I would say there's like maybe one to two months of kind of leaving the book at that and focusing on um, books that are coming out. Yeah, more immediate. Yeah, more immediate things. And then about three months before publication date is a lot of more pitching, talking to bloggers, trying to do giveaways, trying to drum up Mm -hmm. stuff. And it just gets more and more intense before the publication date happens. Um, You don't want to start too far in advance because people will be like, well, this book isn't coming out. Mm-hmm. forever. So I'm going to forget about it. And you're like, don't forget about it. So you kind of have to try to focus two months, one to two months before publication date to start the buzz around it. And yeah, it's all kind of, I, I then continue to pitch people. I send out finished copies. Um, I do net galley giveaways. Yeah, there's a lot of just random things. <laughs> and I know um I know that's not the way it works in other publishers. I think that the de- the timeline of when you're sending books out is pretty similar, but because we are were a mid-sized publisher, I did work with every single book in the like imprint that I worked at, and so I got to give 
full attention to every single book. So I did get to give a publicity plan to every single author I was working at. And I know with bigger publishers, they just don't have the manpower. And so you might not hear anything (laughs) from your publicist. You might hear some things. And I think it varies from publisher to publisher as well. So... I'm not saying that this is a universal kind of experience to have, um, but this was my experience. <laughs> yeah, I, the publicity experience I know vastly differs across houses and imprints. Um, at least where I worked, we had a very, very, we had a very good publicity department, um, and we editors knew. I mean, the the books usually got assigned by the head of publicity, but we usually knew more or less who would be working on the books. The publicists would be would gravitate towards the sort of books that they like. Like we knew so and so likes mysteries and thrillers, so it's likely this person will be handling a lot of the mysteries and thrillers. We know X person really likes, you know, contemporary women's fiction and romance. We know Y person likes YA. So we kinda knew who would be working on, on what. And at least where I worked the publicity department had been there for a while because I have also heard that at some of the bigger houses it's like a revolving door of publicists that kind of go in and out. Um, it is, I know it is kind of the one of the areas of publishing where there's a high turnover rate, um, so it, it can't it can't be easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's there is a lot of high turnover rate for publicists just because. It is kind of an entry-level position, so you either have to keep growing within the company and moving up, or you have to move on. But that's kind of the same thing with all publishing. Mm-hmm. Everyone has worked everywhere, and yeah. <laughs> it's all incestuous and stuff. But yeah, I I think that there are certain places that do great publicity, and I would not be able to name those. I've asked a couple, I asked a couple personal friends just their experiences with their publicity for their books. And, um, one person said one, one series that got published at kind of a, it's bigger, but it's not one of the big five was great. And she heard a ton about them and she felt really like special, even though she said that she probably shouldn't have felt special, which I disagree. Um, she is special. She's a good writer. Um, and then she had another series published with one of the big five, and she didn't hear anything from them and only really had contact with her editor. But that, again, doesn't mean that it's good or bad. I think it just means that they work differently than um, different companies. Mm-hmm. And there's just pros and cons, and it's kind of what you personally prefer, but you're not going to know that until you've mm-hmm. had your book sold to one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is helpful at all. <laughs> I think it, I've learned things just from talking to you, so I think it's helpful. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, there's so much about this business is just, we'll see what happens. <laughs> It's it's a miracle we managed to make any money and get any books out. We're like, I don't know, maybe it'll work. 
That's what my partner says every time I talk about publishing to him. He's like, how do you guys still exist? I'm like, it's a really weird business model. (laughs) It is a really weird business model, but I think that it's slowly growing, maybe. Maybe catching up with the times. I don't bit. know. I mean, no, I mean, I guess that's true. I guess I've been in publishing for almost a decade. And, you know, I know that when I started, ebooks were not a thing and people were freaking out about ebook royalties and they weren't even like part of contracts and no one thought they were going to last. And it was like this whole big thing about negotiating the royalty for ebooks and all this nonsense. And also that was, um, with when Audible first came out and people were freaking out about Audible and audiobook rights and all that stuff. And, you know, you fast forward 10 years and Audible is huge and eBooks are most definitely a thing. And so, (laughs) you know, yes, I probably, the the industry is adapting. I've listened to so many podcasts (laughs) that I now want to go into like an Audible commercial. (laughs) We won't be doing that. We don't have a sponsor. Audible Audible, does not sponsor us. So unfortunately, we can't do that now. I was going to do a commercial just for you. Get on board. (laughs) Yeah. If anybody wants to sponsor this podcast, um, we are totally open to that. Just saying. (laughs) Um. So... Well, then why don't we just talk? I mean, we know this business is, is completely ridiculous and, and upside down and kind of really not the same day to day, but what are some of the favorite parts of your job? Like, what do you like best about publicity? Here is the secret. When you're a publicist, you just get to be a fangirl for the books that you're supposed to push. (laughs) So you get to be like, Oh my God, you have to read this book. There's a guy in it. He's so swoony. Oh my God. So, I mean, obviously you do it much more professionally than that, but that's (laughs) what it basically comes down to. And if I'm at a conference or an event where I'm talking face to face with people, I will be known to do that. I will be like, you got to read this book. It's amazing. She's a vampire and he's... I don't even know. A mermaid. And they are in love, but they can't be together because he needs water to survive. I don't even know, but But he's so hot. But he's so hot. That was a fake book that I made up, but if anyone wants to write it, I will be on board. I'll get on board. You have here Mallory will be your publicist. (laughs) I will be the publicist for that book. But yeah, that's really the best part. I really loved working with my authors and I really loved being able to advocate for their books in a way that like made me feel like I was helping them succeed. And also I got to mm-hmm. fangirl a little bit mm-hmm. about them. I think putting professional fangirl on your business card is kind of the awesomest thing ever. Yeah, it's a secret though. Cause you get to put it behind publicist. And then everyone thinks you're fancy, but really, you're just a fangirl of the highest order. Professional fangirl. <laughs> oh, man. We all want to be publicists now. Yeah. It's the new most coveted Join us. job. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you. Editorial is kind of rough. Just just saying. Having, having dug those trenches for five years, editorial is kind of I rough. I mean, it's not in my blood good job everyone who can do it and you're all good at it but I get to just squee about stuff (laughs) (laughs) it's funny did you know when you um 
got into publishing because you went to the publishing program at Pace? Is that No, I did the Summer Publishing Institute through NYU. Oh, at NYU. Okay. Yeah. So the Summer Publishing Institute, I'll do a commercial for that, um, through NYU was three weeks about magazine publishing and three weeks about book publishing. And I was convinced to do it by one of my college professors. Uh, Hello, Scott. And... (laughs) um, I went because I didn't know what the crap to do with my life, other than that I loved books. Mm-hmm. That's how we all get in. That's the gateway drug. Yep. Yep. You love books, and mm-hmm. then you wind up a contracts manager. Only requirement, really. Do you love books? Welcome to publishing. But did you know that it's true, it's true. though? You don't need a specialized degree. You don't need anything. Do you love books? books? Okay, good. We can we can that's, find that's a it. job for you. Yes. But did you know that publicity was going to be it? No. So the like first week, I think they asked everyone if they they were asking people to raise their hands, and they were like, "Raise your hand if you want to be an editor." And basically, Everybody everyone did because that's everyone. Yeah, that's what you kind of know going if you're from the outside and don't really know about the book world other than like authors and then mm-hmm. there's editors and it's so fancy when they mm-hmm. when they're in movies mm-hmm. oh my god it's so like have an editor in a movie oh, yeah. is like amazing I know. <laughs> just watch the proposal and you're like i'm gonna live the life of sandra bullock and i'm gonna fall I, in love with ryan reynolds if only and... we could all live the life of sandra bullock <laughs> in any movie any movie <laughs> it would be great mm. um except maybe gravity um, i don't think i want to be no, her in gravity. Very, it's too it's stressful <laughs> But any other movie. <laughs> any other movie. Um, yeah, 1990s Sandra Bullock, absolutely. Oh I, so I'm going to go on off a tangent. Okay. But, like, I did not know how much I loved Sandra Bullock until someone, like, said something disparaging to her. And I was like, how dare you say that about Sandy? <laughs> She's America's sweetheart. And how dare you? Like, where did this love of Sandra Bullock come from? I think she's earned it, but I don't... I, it's just it surprised innate in even all of me. us. It's innate in us all. <laughs> it surprised even me. But yeah, um, during the three weeks of book publishing, back to actual publishing talk... <laughs> Um, they, you had all of these panels on all different aspects of publishing. And the part that I gravitated most towards was marketing and publicity because I'm like, oh, they get to do like the fun stuff. (laughs) They get to make like bookmarks and just talk to people about books and just, they don't have to do anything about the shaping of the book. (laughs) Which I think is stressful. Yeah. You get the The finished product and you're like, look, here's a book I got. You should read it. <laughs> There's a mermaid, and he's really hot. You need to read it. Yes. <laughs> Merman, Dad. Merman. Ozulander. <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. I always think it's interesting how people got into publishing, and the answer is almost always the same. Nobody ever thinks of publishing as a career. Nobody is ever like, I'm going to be an editor or I'm going to be a whatever. It's like you love books and then you figure out like, Oh God, what can I do with my life? If I just love books and you're like, well, I could be an English teacher. I could be a librarian or I guess I could be a publisher. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of figure it out. And I mean, I certainly never sat down and was like, I want to manage contracts. (laughs) That was was not, you know, (laughs) I took many, many paths to get me uh, to where I am now. So I'm always interested to find out when people are work in this industry, how they got there and, and whether they knew from the beginning that's what they wanted to do or not. Well, and yeah, I didn't even go in being like, I need to be a publicist because the 
um, publishing world in M- Minneapolis um, is very thriving, but very small. Yes. So I was just prepared to get anything. Anything. That's how I got into contracts. <laughs> <laughs> and I luckily got a call, and by a call I mean I saw a job posting for a publicist for young adult books, and I was like, uh, excuse me, I read young adult <laughs> books and I'm already very invested in that world just because I love them. So, and that's kind of how I got the job. I, I managed to be able to write a sentence or two too, but yeah, when you're an English and history major, everyone just goes, are you going to teach? And you're like, I don't want to yep. talk to people that much. <laughs> Unless it's about books. I don't like yeah, children. Yeah, I don't like children, and I don't want to do that much research. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, you. it's a it's a weird industry to, to find, because I didn't really know it existed, and then, I, I mean, because it mostly exists in New York City. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are publishers. Everywhere, it, yeah. Obviously, there's publishers in Minneapolis. Their uh, Algonquin is in Chapel Hill here in North Carolina. Chronicle, I believe, is out in San Francisco mm-hmm. in California. So it's not like it's only in New York City, but the major publishers are all in New York. The, the center of publishing is really kind of there. So unless you're kind of already in the city and kind of in the know, mm-hmm. publishing as an industry is sort of, you don't realize it's a thing. You don't realize it's a thing you can do. And I grew up in California, so, um, and I grew up in Pasadena specifically, so everyone I knew, if they weren't in Hollywood somehow, they were either, they were all astro engineers, <laughs> like they worked at NASA JPL. So that was, that was me. I was just like, I guess you're going to be a scientist or work in Hollywood somehow, I guess. And, and the whole book thing just didn't occur to me until I moved to New York. Well, and when I did the Summer Publishing Institute through NYU, I lived in New York for a month and a half. And going out there, I was like, this is it. This could be it. I mm-hmm. could just stay here. I won't even go back home. I'll just stay here and get a job. And then a weekend, I went, oh, God, <laughs> I am not built <laughs> for New York. Oh. And, like, thank God I figured that out and didn't try to kind of suffer through it. New York really takes a certain personality to be able to live there, and it, I am not that personality. I still miss New York. I miss I New York, too, too, but I only want to be there for, like, four days, <laughs> and then I want to go away. <laughs> I lived there. I didn't live there long enough. I think it was, like, five years I lived in New York City, and it wasn't long enough. I left before before I was ready, uh, but... But you came here. I did. I did come here. <laughs> and it brought me to you, Mallory. Yay. <laughs> Yay. So now uh, now we are able to bring you to our listeners who are out there who want to know about publicity. Is there anything else that we want to ask or that you want to uh, add? I think we've covered all of our submitted questions or the questions that we've kind of come up with on our own. But if there's anything missing, don't hold out on us. I don't think there's anything missing. I just want to reiterate that I have like a very limited experience through a mid-sized publisher. So this would not be what every author is going to experience. And I would just say, if it's not what you're experiencing, it can't hurt to ask questions. Whether it's your editor or whether you're in contact with your publicist, try to do it all in one email. (laughs) (laughs) 
not like four or five in a row, but <laughs> that, yeah, that's kind of my, and also social media is your friend and also Tumblr is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Tumblr is great. So great. Twitter and Tumblr are my two social media networks that I think I spend the most time on or that I have fluency in mm-hmm. rather. Yeah. Cause I, I don't really use Facebook aside to like spy on people I know and their pictures mm-hmm. and that's kind of it. Um, YouTube is actually a very big social media platform that no one talks about really. Cause they just think, Oh, yes, here's like I cats, mm-hmm. cute cat videos. But that's one, that one's really hard. Uh, and obviously like John Green was amazing at it, but are you going to be John Green? Well, there's a Probably big, not. <laughs> It's, I think it's called BookTube. Yeah, it's BookTube. Um, BookTube, which was relatively new for me. Like, I didn't really realize this had existed until pretty recently when some of my friends were um, being featured on, like, different BookTuber channels, I guess. Um, I find YouTube somewhat stressful. Like, I have all these channels that I'm subscribed to, but then it's like all these videos add up. To, and I don't have time to watch them all. And then I look at it. It's like, oh my God, it's like five days worth of content. So no, thank you. <laughs> like, I just kind of let it go. <laughs> I think that any social media, you're going to find a book community. So like Tumblr has Bookler and mm-hmm. um, Tumblr has their own book community that um, Rachel, I'm, For yeah, sure. I'm going to definitely not be able to say her name. She's amazing. I've never met her, but I have a girl crush on her. Um, but they have their own like book club that they run through Tumblr. And then there's a bunch of, um, bloggers that are on Tumblr and it's, I think they call themselves booklers. You booktube is all just YouTubers that talk about books all the time. Um, I'm forgetting the major one. She's blonde and really cute and I can't think of what her name is. But she's like the face of book of booktube, basically. Um, and like Twitter, there's just bloggers everywhere on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So the good thing about book books is that there are people who love books and will talk about them. And that's like the fun part of my job is you get to like find those people and then be like, talk about this book. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. You'll love it. <laughs> but I just use YouTube to teach me how to do makeup so <laughs> yeah that's how I learned how to do makeup was I watched YouTube videos yes they're amazing there's like 12 year olds on there that I'm like how did you do this <laughs> I am so far away from 12 <laughs> yeah I didn't know how to put on makeup until I was like in my 20s and it was only when I figured out that like oh it's like painting and I was like I get it now but before that, I, I still was don't like, know how to put on makeup. <laughs> I have some YouTubers to watch. Yeah, I, like, I can refer send you me, to some YouTubers. Send me a list. My my next goal is trying to figure out how to do my hair because I can like straighten it and put it in a ponytail. <laughs> That's about it, guys. <laughs> I, I'm extremely low maintenance, so doing my hair just involves me taking a shower and letting it air dry. I feel like go lucky for it. that you can do that. Yeah, I have wavy hair, so it's my hair it's isn't straight though. Situation. I just don't care. <laughs> That's true. I know, but it always looks good. You, it's always it does though. It's true. I I spend a lot of time on my hair because I have to, or else it would go. I mean, it's very Hermione Granger. 
I think you should just embrace it. I do. Who doesn't love Hermione Granger? I mean, she is. She knows how to rock it. She does. She's <laughs> my. She's my hero. Um, oh, I just reread the um, Hermione and the goddamn patriarchy. Recently, <laughs> oh yeah. Which I think it was on BuzzFeed. I can't remember if that's where it originated or if they lifted the content from somewhere it's else. Probably from that's Tumblr. Something they do. It's probably I from Tumblr. I think it's from Tumblr. Most likely, because BuzzFeed just lifts everything from everywhere else. Um, but it was amazing. It made, it made my heart so happy. Uh, What's like the oh books God. from Hermione's point of view? It's like, uh, Hermione Granger, at that time I rescued two idiots from trouble. <laughs> That's book one. <laughs> and all seven of them are Hermione Granger, and that time mm-hmm. I rescued two idiots from trouble. <laughs> and I think The Toast just recently did a Hermione Granger thing where mm-hmm. they rewrote certain scenes from the book if Hermione refused to do Ron and Harry's homework. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was on the toast. Another Mallory. Mm-hmm. A Mallory that... Mallory Ortberg. I love her stuff. <laughs> she's every, she's so everything funny. she does is phenomenal. She's really funny. She's way funnier than me. I will share my name with you, Mallory Ortberg, because you raised the stakes. <laughs> <laughs> Good company. Yep. Uh, so if that wraps up our weekly topic... Uh, then we can move on to some general things. So, Mallory, what are you reading right now? Oh, gosh. So, I'm not actually reading anything because I just finished Carry On by Rainbow Rowell, and I have book fatigue. Like, what is it? Book Book hangover. Book hangover. I was going to say book fatigue. That did not cause me fatigue. That caused me to just be like, oh, Simon and Beth. (laughs) (laughs) I was reading it on the plane, and they finally kissed. Spoilers, but not spoilers because it says it on the jacket flap mm-hmm. copy and I wanted to like shake the person next to me in the seat <laughs> in the airplane just being like they kissed <laughs> and you see why I'm a professional fangirl <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's what I have recently read I also I'm sorry but I also recently read um, Sarah Dessen's new book Saint Anything Anything mm. and I just it's Sarah Dessen, so she obviously has a following, but I just don't think she gets the, the like, respect that she deserves. Saint Anything was so good, and if it had been written by a man, it would have been getting all of these accolades, but, like, it's Sarah Dessen, so they're like, oh, she writes girly things, and so she doesn't get accolades, and I, she gets accolades, but she doesn't get... She deserves more. She deserves more. I don't think that she needs me to push her, but... I will continue to push her. Saying anything was fantastic. <laughs> what did you read? Right, so what are you reading, Kelly? I just started Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, yeah. So oh, Elizabeth... Mm-hmm. So Elizabeth Gilbert uh, wrote E Pray Love, which I did not read. Um, but I remember it coming out, and obviously I'm sure that everyone who's listening to this podcast has heard it, and the subsequent movie, and this whole big thing. Um, and I've, I only read the eat sections. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I've heard those are the best bits, and I'm not surprised. They are. Um, so I've never read that book and I never read another one. I know that she's released others. I, the I've, signature of all things. Mm-hmm, I've never read anything by her at all, but I'm reading big magic and big magic is a book about, um, creativity and the creative process. And uh, she talks a lot about writing in the specifics because that's kind of what she does. Uh, but it's not exclusive to writing. You could kind of apply it to any kind of creative endeavor. And I don't read a lot of books about craft. Um, I think this is the third one I've ever read, and the other two are Bird by Bird by Anne Lamont, 
And oh, that's a great book. Mm-hmm, it's phenomenal. And On Writing by Stephen King, which, um, also a great book. Yeah, which I also love. And those are the only other two kind of books on craft and how to, you know, create art or, you know, whatever, um, that I've ever read. And so I heard so many things about big magic, um, from people that, uh, I love and respect and, um, everyone was saying, you know, you have to read it, you have to read it, you have to read it. And I am recently, as I mentioned, trying to get back to writing. Uh, it's something I always did for my whole life and then I stopped doing it. And now, uh, I'm trying to find my way back to it. And I had made that decision even before I'd heard of this book. And now I just feel like it's almost kismet that this book has come into my life in this way because I'm only, I mean, I, I just, just started it. So I'm probably only like 35 pages in or something like that. And it's already, it's like, I feel like every single sentence that I finish, I'm like, yes, yes. (laughs) And I'm just like, so I feel so inspired and I feel so, it doesn't feel false. You know, so much of what she's talking about, um, in this opening section of the book, because as I said, I'm very early in is that all of us have something within us that's worth creating and that it's, it's not about you. You can't get wrapped up in the ego of it and all of these other things and all of your fears. She talks a lot about fear that holds you back from doing things, but it's just, it's very honest and simple and open. And it's just like, look, you should do what makes you happy. And if you're going along and living your life and realizing that you're not connected to the thing that makes you happy, then what is the point? And she has this, this story about a friend of hers who has started, um, ice skating at the age of 40, because when she was a child, she loved figure skating. And then she realized that she was never going to be a professional figure skater. She's never going to be an Olympian. You know, she was just a skater. And so she stopped taking lessons and stopped doing it. Um, and then, you know, she was in her forties and had gone through all of these personal upheavals and looked around at her life and was like, the last time I truly felt happy is when I was figure skating. And why am I not doing that in my life? And so she's doing it now with no ulterior motive. She doesn't have anything to gain from it. It's just something that she wants, you know, to have in her life. And so I don't know, it's, it's, I'm sure it's just going to get better as it goes in, but it's really, uh, it's the book I need to read at this time. I know we talked about recently books that we've, we've, uh, met at the wrong time we mentioned in passing and are hoping to do another podcast about that soon when you like pick up the book and it's just not where your headspace is at. And this is the exact opposite. This is like the exact book that I need to read right now. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) Yay. Actually, I have another book for you. Um, maybe that you want to read after you're done with big magic, Kelly. Uh, it's called Wonder Book by Jeff Vandermeer. Okay, um, and it's 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 nonfiction and it's like air essays and exercises. I think the full title is like uh, Wonder Book, the an illustrated guide to creating imaginative fiction. And it's a craft book, but it's not it's not like Save the Cat. It's not like joseph campbell it's not this sort of thing that you break down into a formula um it's just a bunch of exercises and um essays and sort of inspirational pieces that sort of help spark your creativity so i think that's something that you may want to look into too awesome what are you reading a lot of stuff (laughs) (laughs) i um i previously mentioned that i don't actually read a lot when i'm drafting 
Um, and this past week, I just haven't had very good writing days. And so I just... Although today wasn't so bad. Like today, you know, just before we got on the podcast, I was getting words out and I was kind of moving forward and shifting things around. Um, but as a, as a means of procrastination, I decided I was, I was just going to read stuff. So, um, in, I just finished Illuminate by Amy Kaufman uh-huh. and Jay Kristoff, um, which I had a cameo in and that was kind of fun to look for. Uh, um, so my, my name is in there. It's in the print version anyway. I don't think, I don't know if it's in the ebook version. This book is, it's, it's a collection of digital ephemera and the design is really important to the text. So I don't really know how it would translate to an ebook. Um, but I also have the audiobook of that and that one's done with a full cast and I'm kind of halfway through the audiobook right now. And also what came out this week was Career of Evil by Robert Galbraith, which is the third adult mystery novel by J.K. Rowling. And that was really, 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 really good. And it's funny because I adult thrillers are just not my thing. It's it's not a it's not a genre or a category I gravitate toward. Um I think the last group of thrillers that I read were Dan Brown books. <laughs> I think it was a while ago. I mean, I read The Da Vinci Code and didn't love it, but also couldn't put it down. Yeah. And then I read, I read, you know, here's the thing about The Da Vinci Code. I read it in college, like literally in between classes. Like I read it, it I had like two hours to kill and somebody had lent me their copy of The Da Vinci Code and I read the whole thing uh-huh. in between those two classes. And was also eating an entire can of salt and vinegar Pringles. <laughs> and I, those two things are so indelibly linked in my brain that I can't actually look at Dan Brown's name on the spine of a book without like that kind of acid reflux. That feeling this. along your jaw with like the sour, um, like <laughs> yes, so that puckering feeling of the the salt and vinegar Pringles. But um, anyway, so. This is the third book in, in J.K. Rowling's adult mystery series, and I don't think she gets enough credit for being a, a good writer. She, I think J.K. Rowling is an excellent writer. I mean, a lot of people will denigrate her because, oh, Harry Potter's just children's fiction. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, I know, I know, I'm preaching to the choir here, but <laughs> I, you know, and it's, she's able to make these adult, the voice of these adult, of this adult series different from Harry Potter and they're they're just really really good they're they're full of characters I really like and really care about the mysteries are always really good and that was always what I thought J.K. Rowling did very well especially like the first three Harry Potter novels yes are excellent middle grade mysteries and um so she's she's got a real good sense for how to pace a mystery you know how to just drop just the right amount of red herrings um, so that everything kind of lines up and falls into place. So it's just a really enjoyable experience reading that. And I'm also in the middle of reading The Little Stranger by Sarah Waters. Um, I don't know if you guys... Sarah Waters wrote Tipping the Velvet, Fingersmith... Fingersmith Affinity. is the one. I knew I knew her name and I couldn't think of why. 
Fingersmith is really great. Um, she's a lesbian writer, British lesbian writer, and most of her books feature queer women, except The Little Stranger. Um, the Little Stranger is actually my favorite of her books because it's the scariest. And it's October, and I love horror. I actually wouldn't call The Little Stranger horror, per se. Um, it's it's a straight-up gothic novel. It's got, you know, your kind of your requisite crumbling house and this fading family and... But it's 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 scary, and I don't scare that easily. This book terrified the bejesus out of me the first time I read it, um, and I just was in the mood to reread it. So that's that's also what I'm reading right now. <laughs> yeah, all right, Mallory, are you working on anything creative? Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> it's optional. You don't have to share, but I'm working on finishing the first draft of a YA novel right now because I'm taking. A literary class, and I'm supposed to have the first draft done, <laughs> and I don't have one. But it's good because I haven't finished a book in about five years because my writing time was um, during class when I was bored. <laughs> and when you take I miss those days, oh god, I miss them. Um, when people doodled on the in mm-hmm. the margins and I was writing stories in the margins mm-hmm. instead to keep me occupied. Um, but when you don't have the forced downtime of <laughs> writing of because throwing away your education, <laughs> I still paid attention. No, I'm a I, I am you. So, but, um, I got A's you guys. It's fine. I graduated. <laughs> um, when you don't have that forced time, uh, you don't, Right, or at least I didn't write. So it took me about five years to actually be like, no, you need to finish something instead of just randomly Mm -hmm. writing something down every like few months. So I've been writing full stop for the past like two weeks every night. Thank you to my sister who I live with, who is taking care of our dog cricket, who we talked about earlier, because um, <laughs> she's demanding of a lot of people's time, <laughs> and sometimes you need a break from her. But luckily, my sister is like, "It's fine. You can go upstairs." <laughs> but yeah, uh, it deals with girls and monsters, but not in not like sexy monsters, <laughs> fun that's monsters. A, that's a nice change. <laughs> There's still. I love any books with so monsters wait, in so them. So wait, is the girl a vampire and the guy's a merman? No, <laughs> but I might switch it just now. I think you should. <laughs> no, the girls are monsters. Oh, but there are still cute boys in it, and actually cute girls. I'm trying my first hand at a uh, lesbian romance. Well, it's not full lesbian. It's like multiple. Romances, right, 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 right. But, but also lesbian, which I'm excited about because I haven't tried it my hand at it before so that's what she said hopefully it's not (laughs) hopefully it's not full-on garbage which it feels like it is right now but that's how it always feels or that's how my writing always feels (laughs) anyway i think you're doing it wrong if you're like this is the greatest thing ever and that that feeling never changes i wonder if people do that i I wonder if someone's like i'm amazing i know that there are people who do that because i I went to college and i took writing classes in college and so i know for a fact well those are short stories guys yeah Uh, (laughs) to have the confidence of guys Uh, that would be nice (laughs) anyway let's not get ourselves in too much trouble here (laughs) 
not all guys, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Hashtag not all men. It's okay. <laughs> oh. oh no, we've tr- oh. we've gone into some t- dark territory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is who's next? Who's next? What's what are you working on? Whoever's next? Yeah, <laughs> I'll go line. next. That's me. Um, so I confessed last week that I am doing NaNoWriMo. <gasps> oh, so exciting. Uh-huh. But also horrible. I know. I'm terrified. I'm <laughs> terrified. So JJ's book that she just sold that's coming out, JJ, is it 2016 or 17? 2016. 16. As... Was a NaNoWriMo win. <gasps> yes. Nice. Mm-hmm. And so I am doing NaNoWriMo again because like I was talking about earlier, it has been so long since I've written and I need like some kind of something to work against something, um, to kind of motivate me and, and convince me to get rolling. So I was like, well, it's perfect timing. NaNoWriMo is coming. I've announced it on this podcast. So now <laughs> I have people who know about it in the world. And so if I don't do it, that will be really embarrassing. You're accountable. I'm accountable. There you go. <laughs> that's a grown up word. And, um, and so that's, what I'm working on now and I haven't actually started any of the writing of it. I've like taken notes and I, as JJ knows, I'm not, um, I'm not like an outliner and I'm not, uh, I think like the, I guess the technical term now is pantser. This is, this is a vocabulary that I've learned recently. That's how out of touch I am is that apparently this is new to me when it's really been around forever, but I don't plan. I don't, you know, I just kind of like sit down and write and I really like it best when I just have an idea that like comes to me and I'm like, Oh, I have to write this idea. Um, so this NaNoWriMo is not quite like that. JJ gave me some really smart advice, which was, um, to set aside the work in progress that I've been struggling with for the last like seven years, because the problem with that is that I feel like there's a really good story there. And I also feel like I was not telling it well, over and over and over again. And I just, I was making different mistakes. I was making the same mistakes. I was making some really unconscionable mistakes. And so it it just, uh, you know, it just has never really become anything, but I still truly am compelled by the nugget of story that's at its core. And JJ was like, don't work on that for NaNoWriMo because you'll just become consumed with trying to fix all of the problems and you won't actually do any writing. And JJ is wise. And so (laughs) I have listened to her advice. And so instead I'm just creating some kind of like weird out there, very, um, like this just like weird nugget of an idea that popped into my head and I'm just going to like go with it without really knowing what happened. So it's kind of a fairy tale inspirational retelling sort of kind of thing, but (laughs) not really. And it started out as one specific fairy tale, but now other fairy tales are getting like folded in and it's, so now it's not really, doesn't really resemble anything. It's, but that's the best part. That's though. kind of I the mean, best part. Straight up retelling, I think, is yeah, is one too easy and two kind of boring. Yeah, but and so yeah, so it's kind it's kind of a gender swapped Beauty and the Beast where the boy is the one who's captive, but not really, <laughs> but kind of. Um, we'll get better at pitching our I, I know. later on. <laughs> You're a publicist. This is your job. Mine is just, there's <laughs> girl monsters. I don't know. <laughs> That's because it's, it's not written yet. It's not finished. You work with finished products. Oh, yeah. You I know? get them once they're, like, polished. Nice. <laughs> this is that messy stage. So it's kind of like that, um, but not really. It's YA fantasy sort of kind of a thing, and I'm just kind of going with it. So uh, right now I'm trying to figure out what the hell my character are named. Uh, I, it's the hardest. I, I don't know their names, and usually when I, I characters are the thing that come to me first, um, and 
they come to me with their names attached usually, but I know what these people look like, but I don't know what their names are and it's really bothering me. So that's what I'm working on right now is kind of pouring through different name websites. It's like when I was pregnant all over again, you're just searching baby <laughs> name sites over and over. <laughs> refresh, you know, when refresh, I'm in the not planning that one. stages of a book too. And I'm like Googling baby names. People are like, do you have something to tell us? And I was like, no, I'm just writing a book. Mm-hmm. And then your ads start to get really weird and oh, like your social media feeds. I full on bought a baby name book because mm-hmm. I was like, why well, I go to the same baby name website all the time and it never has what I need and this one does. So I'll just have this book and I was like moving and people were like, Why do you have this baby name book? And I'm like, Well, I have something to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gestating a book baby, okay? <laughs> I've got a lot of babies in here and they're all fictional, but they need names. <laughs> So that's what's going on for me. Are there mermen in it? (laughs) There are not mermen, but I have to tell you, I'm feeling inspired. Yeah. (laughs) That's all I can hope for. (laughs) What about JJ? Are there, uh, are there mermen, mermen in your middle grade that I assume is what you're still working on? Yes, I'm still working on it. Uh, no, there are no, uh, mermen in, in my book. There are no magical creatures in my magical middle grade, sadly. (laughs) Um, and it's funny because, like, anytime you talk about your book, Kelly, I have this, like, really specific image of your book that probably doesn't, like, line up at all with what's in your head. Well, tell me what <laughs> yours is because maybe it's better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess I, you, you, I guess when you talked about the, the character to me, I was like, this is, like, female Robin Hood. You know, she's like, and you kind of say that and the more you, because you've said that to me before and the more that you say that, the more it kind of clicks into place, which is why I was talking about the mishmash fairy tale I'm thing. I'm on board with everything everyone is saying right now. <laughs> and I was like, that would be the greatest. It's a gender-bent Robin Hood with elements of Beauty and the Beast and I was like, yeah, I'm all over that. So go I, ahead and write that right now, Kelly. I think, like right get on that. Yeah, I think it's becoming more and more like that, especially as I f- figure out more and more who the nameless girl is. Uh I think it's taking more of that shape. So yeah, but no <laughs> merman in yours. No, um but a lot of uh middle school flirting, which is surprisingly yeah. a lot of fun to write. It's the best <laughs> flirting. It's because it's innocent, but it's not innocent. It's when you want to be attractive to the other sex or same sex, and you look your worst. <laughs> you're like, this is what I... And you're also awkward. So you're like, I would like to be attractive to you, but everything's going against me. <laughs> It's also, I think for me in particular, I, I like writing sort of the middle school realization that you may have feelings for somebody, but you like kind of angry at yourself because you don't really understand what you're feeling yeah. and it, it's kind of irritating, but exciting and scary and you don't understand what's going on. And it's, I like, I like that. I think it's, I think it's great when, when kids are clearly like they have crushes on each other, but they like, they don't have the means to express that yet. (laughs) And that conflict is always so great when I'm like, yeah, I I just remember very much being that age. Of course, I was very much a late bloomer, but I didn't really develop crushes on anyone until I was much older. But it just, that feeling of, oh, I have these feelings and I don't know what to do with them. And it's really awful and annoying. And it's kind of great at the same time. (laughs) 
that's that was that was kind of what was getting me going today because like I said I've I've just been kind of stuck on trying to move forward, trying to shed the baggage of all the previous drafts. This is why I told Kelly not to work on her other project because having all of that baggage is going to just weigh you down and you're just going to have to keep pausing, set down the baggage, rearrange it, pick it back up and keep moving forward. Like it just, it slows you down. And, and, and I keep doubting how I'm telling the story because my natural voice is to be somewhat florid. You know, I'm very wordy and I, I talk a lot. I'm very meandering when it comes to how I tell a story and it just doesn't work for middle grade. So I just was like, yeah, I'm just going to sit down and strip out all the feelings and just write what happens. And then I was like, Oh my God, what does happen? Because like Kelly, I'm not a plotter either. So I'm just like, what does happen? Oh God, what happens? (laughs) (laughs) So that, yeah, that, that's what I'm working on aside from doing an inktober sketch every day. That's, or mostly every day, not every day, but most of the month of October, I've been doing an Inktober sketch, which I've been very proud of because previous years I've tried to do it and I've gotten like to day three and I was like, eh, I'm done. So. That's how I feel about uh, NaNoWriMo. Mm-hmm. Well, I day know. three, I'm like, no. Nah, I don't think I'm I've ever made it past now. the first week. I've tried it once or twice before. I've only tried it for real one time and I don't think I made it past week one, so... <laughs> we can have writing sprints. We together. should. We should meet up. And there's definitely no way I'm getting my first draft done before my first class. <laughs> oh, I hope my teacher doesn't you know, listen. You could, do, <laughs> you could do like Twitter writing sprints. I know a lot of my friends do like nano sprints, like just hashtag like nano sprints and just like go for like half hour bursts at a time. Mm-hmm. And you can surprisingly get a lot of stuff written. Now, I. I can't necessarily tell you how much of that's going to be usable, but at least you have words but, down. But that's not the point for NaNoWriMo. Yeah. No, that, it isn't. That's what I comfort myself with. <laughs> well, that's kind of, I feel like I'm doing a NaNoWriMo, but in a shortened amount of time and also not during NaNoWriMo. So, and I'm like, oh, this is, this is what it's supposed to be. I just write and I'll just be like, transition here <laughs> and then leave it and go. And <laughs> just like, you got to move Don't look on. back. Don't look back. <laughs> switch this to third person instead leave it and go (laughs) but i don't know everything can be fixed nothing is set in stone so the first draft is just to get the story out and even if you don't use every element or if you have to rewrite sections of it you know what you had the story down once and you can always fix it Uh fix fixing it is easier than creating it from scratch so it doesn't have to be perfect when it comes out. You just It just has to be there. You just have to have something to work with. That's the whole point of NaNoWriMo. So that's, that's another pep talk this week. <laughs> <laughs> we all need it. Sounds good. All of us need it. <laughs> well, I don't have anything special to recommend this week, but Mallory, is there anything else that you are super into lately? I mean, first of all, I know that you guys have talked about Hamilton a bunch, but I feel like <laughs> neither of you were nearly as like <laughs> excited about it as you should have been. <laughs> I think you were both really trying to be like, yeah, it's really good, you guys. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> well, I was lucky enough to go see it in I New hate York. you. I hate you. I know. This is the part I where we murder you, you yeah, by the way. I know. Um, please... 
tell my mom I love her. Um, I saw it in the very October like third or something, so just a few weeks ago, and I did not listen to the cast recording before, although I purchased it, so I had it on my phone, and it was like the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> I because I'm am from the Midwest, so we don't get to see any original cast, first of all, but we also don't get to see shows until they're like a year out at mm-hmm. least. So you really fall in love with shows from cast recordings. That's just the way you have to do it. At least that's the way I have to do it. Um, so this was that's my the way f- I did it too. Growing yeah. up in California, you don't, I mean, we get some, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's not the same thing. And you just, you, you fall in love with what you know, and then you see it and you're like, Oh, there's so much more. I didn't know to fall in love with, but this was the first time I'd ever seen the show without mm-hmm. hearing any of the music. I also saw fun home, which was good and amazing, but in a different way. But Hamilton has reignited the musical theater nerd in me. And all I do is really try to learn the Lafayette rap and guns and shit. <laughs> like, I will conquer that rap at some point in, in my life. In the accent? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Probably not He's a great so accent. He's so good. David Diggs. He's oh amazing. He's, He's so, so good. good. And I, so I went with my sister, who I live with. Um, it was supposed to be to celebrate her 30th birthday, and um, which is, I got to come along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it was interesting because neither of us had listened to it. We knew Lin-Manuel Miranda because we both loved In the Heights before, so we had been following him through like writing Hamilton, basically. So we knew we would probably love it because we loved In the Heights. And when we were watching it, we obviously loved everything that was happening, but I was the Lafayette girl, and Shannon was the Hercules Mulligan girl. And now that we get to listen to the recordings, we've obviously like both become... You love everyone. You love everyone, and you love Hercules Mulligan, and you love his rap, and you love Lafayette, and you really want to know his rap, but it's very hard. But it was just interesting to like have mm-hmm. the separation and be like, oh, well, you were over... Loving on Hercules Mulligan, I was over loving on Lafayette and how I have a crush on George Washington. I don't know. You guys, listen to Hamilton. Now we're done. But <laughs> just, I felt like you needed slightly more fangirling. <laughs> I oh, was, there's plenty of fangirling. I was that in a closet at the time. I, I was I recording this podcast in my closet next I door know. to my daughter's room. So my, my levels of enthusiasm <laughs> were simmering instead of boiling, but it was there. The love is there. I'll forgive you both. <laughs> it is really hard because I have to kind of keep my fan, my uh, Hamilton fangirl to sort of like a simmer at work because I listen to it at work. I can't, you know, I'm a, I can listen to stuff while I'm at my at my job, but like, and people, and I'm like kind of like jamming away or I'm like mouthing the words to the rap even though I can't rap to save my life. <laughs> and people are like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm listening to, and, and, the moment I try and describe what it is, they all just give me this look like, what? And I'm like, I know it sounds ridiculous and it sounds like a joke, but I swear to God, it's like the greatest thing in, on this planet. <laughs> just give it a listen, please. <laughs> listen to Alexander Hamilton, listen to Right Hand Man, and then listen to Guns and Ships. And if you're not in, by then, see for me, I don't know if we of- can be friends. <laughs> For me, it was kind of all about Aaron Burr. Yeah. 
I thought, I think one, Leslie Odom Jr. has kind of the best role in the entire show. Um, and I think he also has the best songs. I think Wait For It is so great. And The Room Where It Happens, also great. And what was, uh, the other thing that I was, you know, because again, on, on Tumblr, you can find all sorts of, of fandoms. And of course, like the first thing I did was find the, the Tumblr Hamilton fandom. Um, but one of my favorite things that I discovered, because like over the course of being obsessed with this musical, of course, I have to go and be my Ravenclaw self and like find all of the little bits of trivia about the founding fathers. The thing that kind of blew my mind was that Aaron Burr's grandfather was Jonathan Edwards, the sinners in the hands of an angry God preacher. Uh-huh. And so that line is like, my, my grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher. I was like, oh my God, your grandfather is Jonathan Edwards. And so he, he has this whole legacy that he has to live up to. And it's, it's a sort of like interplay between, between him and Hamilton. That was the sort of relationship that I really loved in Amadeus between Mozart and Salieri, that kind of that rivalry and that admiration and rivalry. And they, dislike each other but the the term frenemy comes to mind even though i kind of hate that word and i kind of hate sex in the city for coming up with it (laughs) but (sighs) it's it's such a simplistic term but i love that relationship and i just it's as much burr's story as it is hamilton's story and I don't know. I can I can go on and on. So <laughs> we we promise at some point we'll stop talking about I know. Hamilton. I'm at sorry. Some point. I'm sorry. I brought it's it fine. Back up. It's fine. It's okay. Worth Episode it. six. I think four of six episodes we, we recommended <laughs> Hamilton in this segment. For the love of God, everyone, just listen to Hamilton. <laughs> I'm gonna. We're going so long, but I'm also gonna recommend watching Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries on Netflix. It's set in the 20s, and it's in Australia, and she solves murders, and she's, like, a flapper and amazing, and she wants to basically bang the, like, um, detective that she works with all the time, so it's basically three seasons of them just, like, looking at each other, being like, "Mm, we should probably bang, but then they never do! (laughs) (laughs) That was my quick... That's how I felt about the X-Files, except that was nine years of unresolved sexual tension. It killed me. All right. So is that everything? I think that's it. All right. Yeah, we've wrapped it up. If you guys have any further questions about publicity um, that maybe Mallory can answer, you can certainly submit it to us, um, either by emailing us or asking us on Tumblr. That's it for this week. Next week, we'll be talking... Uh, sort of the first of our NaNoWriMo topics. And uh, I think we're going to discuss um, where to get ideas from and how to turn those into books. Uh, as always, if you want more, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Pickle, or your podcast provider of choice. Also, if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance, as it helps other listeners find the podcast. If you want more pub cult goodness, you can go to our website, publishingcrawl.com, where we have many more posts and articles about various aspects of reading, writing, and the publishing industry. You can also follow us on Twitter at pubcrawlblog, as well as on Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at publishingcrawl. You can follow me, JJ, at sjjones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter, or my website, sjjones.com. And you can follow me, Kelly, at Bookish Chick on Twitter or Instagram. 
And you can follow me, Mallory, at Mallory A. Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. I mostly just squeal about stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Our theme music is Quirky Dog by Kevin McLeod, and our logo is designed by Aaron Bowman, publishing crawl contributor and author of Vengeance Road, available now wherever books are sold. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email us at publishingcrawl at gmail.com or send us an ask through Tumblr. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. 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 (laughs) We could sing Hamilton. Hercules Mulligan! When you knock me down, I get the back up again. I'm so glad you guys are providing blooper fodder. It's usually me. Did I go really Norwegian on you? Oh, gosh, you guys. Mm -hmm.